So, good morning. Almost afternoon. Morning. My name is Josh, as Nina introduced me earlier. Um, I'm part of the team that leads the church plant here in Gothenburg. And as Nina said, we've been going for a few years. Our passion as a church plant is to grow into a church that primarily loves God and loves Gothenburg. There's loads of other things involved with that. But two things, we love God and we love Gothenburg. And our heart is to be a church of hundreds that love God and love Gothenburg. My name is Josh. So, it's exciting today. If you're here for the first time, or if, you're here, or if you've been here before, uh, and the reason it's exciting today is because we are starting a new series. Um, so what, what we do every week, there's, there's three parts to our Sunday meeting. Three things that we're really passionate about and we value. First is worship, so we have half an hour of worship. Second is community, being family together, enjoying each other, living life together. And so we have a good time for Fika in the middle. And the third thing that we really value is opening up the scripture, God's word, breathed out by God, and seeing what does it have to say to us today. And so every week, what we will do is we'll open up the Bible and say, wow, what does it have to say for us today? This is breathed out by God. It's amazing. Open it and you hear God's voice. If you're wondering what God's saying, open the Bible. It's guaranteed to be God. <laughs> um, and so we, we're doing a new series and we are going through the book of John. Wow. wow, that's amazing. Um, and so what, what, I, what I really want to do today is spend just a little bit of time introducing the book and getting us caught up in the big story. So next week, we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, but we're almost not going to be even looking too much at the book at the moment because I want to grab us and get us to see the book of John's place in the big story. So that is what we are going to be doing today. Just a couple of practical information things about the book of John. Just highlight a few things. The book of John is written by a guy called... Zach. Zach. No, John. <laughs> written by a guy called John. It's not exactly 100% definitely clear who that John is. That most scholars would say it's a guy called John the son of Zebedee. But other scholars would say mm, there's an argument for it to be another John as well. It's a bit unclear because right the way through the book, as we're going to find as we walk through this series, is he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. And so it's like a little bit of a, you know, if you're Sherlock Holmes, you're looking through it and thinking, who is this John? And the majority of people would fall down on it's the son of Ze John, the son of Zebedee. The book was written about AD 70 to AD 100, so about 50 to 80 years after Jesus lived and died. Uh, again, it's not 100% clear it was written on May the 21st, AD 75. It's not, it's not clear, but scholars would say it's somewhere around those times. And even the place, it's not completely clear. So most scholars would say it is in a place called Ephesus, which if you flick on through the New Testament, you find Ephesians, which is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. And most scholars would say possibly, probably written in Ephesus. But again... Not kind of like 100% 
Sure. So we kind of sh we kind of think it's John the son of Zebedee. We kind of think 70 AD to 100 AD. We kind of think Ephesus, but you know you can if you want go on a bit. If you want to go home and like really get excited about finding out who the author was or where was it, you can do your own research and come back to me and say this is what what I think it was written. This is who I think think wrote it. Um, the book, the structure of the book, very, very simply, very, very roughly, can be split in, you can say it can be split into two parts. Okay, the first part is all about Jesus doing signs. Okay, so you get a bunch of signs. Like, very well-known, famous one is Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. Okay, that's the first sign. And then, you, then there's a bunch more signs, and the last sign is Jesus uh, resurrecting, bringing back to life his best mate, Lazarus. So that's the end. So that's like part one of the book. And in fact, when he does that last sign, we, all, we almost get introduced to part two. Because when he does that, there's a few people who really dislike Jesus. And they say, he has gone too far. We now need to see him killed. And really, the second part of the book is all about that. It's about his last, it's just a few days. It's his last night. It's his trial, death, resurrection, and that's really what the last bit of the book, the second half, focuses on. And the book ends with a barbecue on the beach. And that's why we chose the book. <laughs> so we'll get there, as, as all books should end. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, so we will, as we go through the book, these things are going to be explained in a lot more detail. I'm going to look into the science and we're going to look into all of these different things. But just as a very, very brief, vague overline, two halves written by a guy called John. The series name that we have gone for is Real Jesus. And uh, our tech designer person is in, is in the middle of designing a new slide for real Jesus. <laughs> so I, I, this, is, this is my poor attempt. We normally, have re, we normally have real life. I've crossed out life, put Jesus. I mean, I think it's quite a good person. Eh? Do I get a thumbs up? Yeah, thumbs yeah. Up. <laughs> I've got the job. Yes, I'm hired. Um, and ho hopefully, and we've called it that for a reason that will hopefully become clear as I speak, especially towards the end of this morning. But real Jesus, I'm in real faith. Uh, for this series, actually, and I'm going to talk more about that at the end. But the first thing I'd like to do is look at and think about how this book, the book of John, and the man that the book centres around, Jesus, how that fits into the big story, the big picture. Because it's very easy to lose a view of the big story. And perhaps just focusing on one passage or one verse, one chapter, one book. And forget, what place does this have in the big story of Scripture, in God's big story? You see, we, we live in a world that's a very much a, how I would describe it, a, a me society. Individualistic, which, which part, I think part of that is we've created an instant society. I need to, you know, I need things to happen. I need to ha them to happen directly. I remember when, uh, <laughs> when I was 
about 20 years ago maybe, about 10, our family bought our first computer. And we bought this nice big computer called the Amiga Commodore. Oh, yeah. I think it was called, 3000 maybe, very space age. Um, and what we did with it is we connected it to the internet, which was quite a big thing. And to connect to the internet back then was quite the process. You would have to, if someone was on the phone, you'd have to say, Oi, get off the phone. So they'd have to put down the phone, and then you'd have to uh, type in some things. And, and then the dial-up connection would begin, and you'd hear, hear this... <laughs> and you hear this thing, and if you're really lucky, within about a minute or something, you're connected to the internet. And, it's like, and then you go onto a page, and you're not really like surfing the internet, it's more like, you know, like, kind of like crawling through the internet. In slow, I don't think it was called surfing the internet back then, that must have come, up, come a bit later on. And so it's like really, really slow motion, and you know, most times it wouldn't even work anyway. Whereas today, in our instant society, we get frustrated if, like an, if a web page doesn't come up straight away. We're like, oh, it's a problem with my network, it's a problem with 4G, 5G, 6G. We, we, work, we want it to get faster and faster and, and faster. <coughs> I, uh, preparing for today, I googled book. B-O-O-K. Within point five, point four seven of a second, <laughs> there was 4.8 billion results for the word book. I mean, talk about an instant result. Google did very well there. But I think as a part of this instant society that we live in, as a part of this individualist, like me, like I want to like, serve me society that we live in, it can be very, very easy to lose a view of the big picture. Uh, there's a lot of talk about sort of saving our planet and looking after our planet and global warming. Warning? Could be global warming. <laughs> warning, warning. A global warming these days. And uh, sorry, I've lost what I'm saying. Yeah, and and, and one of like the sort of the slogans would be. Okay, bye-bye, see you later. <laughs> they're out. Take care, they're right. out. Shaking their heads. You've got a of if you're listening to the recording, there's a couple of people leaving, shaking their heads. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, and so we, uh, you know, you hear about looking after our planet, global warming, and one of the things that a lot of people will say is, yeah, it might be okay for this generation that's living today, but what about your kids? What about your grandkids? What about your great-grandkids? What's it going to be like for them? What about the big picture? And it's really similar to reading the Bible. And so that's what I want to do today, is look at the big picture. How does John, how does Jesus fit in to the big picture of Scripture? So, Genesis 1, verse 1. You can turn if you want. I'm, yeah, you can turn if you want. Genesis 1, verse 1. Okay, this is what it says, the first few words of the big picture, the big story. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created. Full stop. There we have the beginning of the big picture. Who was in the beginning? God. 
God was in the beginning. That's the beginning of the story. God was there. And then what did he choose to do? Create. And as we, uh, as we go through Genesis 1, I won't read it all, but we see the creation account that God creates heaven and earth, that he creates uh, sea, masses of land, that he <coughs> creates the stars in the, in the galaxy, that he creates creatures both for the <coughs> land and for sea. That every day he creates something new. And he's, and he's looking at it and he's thinking it's good, but it's kind of missing something. What's it missing? It's like man. It's missing mankind. The pinnacle of creation, the, the pinnacle, the thing that will really finish this off is mankind. And so he creates man in his own image. And he looks back, Genesis 1.31, and he sees everything that he has made and he says, it was very good. He looks at his creation and he says, wow, it is very good. It is very good. God to say something is very good. It must have been incredible. And what he said is this. It's like the greatest Christmas present ever. He said, man, you all over it. Varshagul. Enjoy it. Cultivate it. Multiply into it see this creation I have made it it is very very good enjoy it it's for you and then he says just this one thing doesn't he he says there's this just there's just one condition in, enjoy creation enjoy each other in fact enjoy me so we see that God would walk with man in the garden it's incredible at the beginning of the story and he says enjoy that all but he says there's just this one one thing that I want you to sort of avoid doing. And that's, you see that tree right over there? Don't go near it. Don't eat from it. Everything else. Just, I mean, picture it in your mind's eye. Just incredible, peaceful, beautiful place. Everything else. Enjoy and multiply. Feel it. Not this. Don't touch this tree. When I was... Uh, about 16 I stopped going to school and went to college instead and the reason I did that is do you want to go and help them get out they're locked in thanks yeah and the reason I went to college was to do a sport course and I, I, I remember one day we went to a place called Stamford Bridge which was a uh, it, which is still is, a football stadium right in the middle of London, home to a team called Chelsea Football Club, the second best team in London. <laughs> uh, we, we had a great day. So we went, you, had, you had your tour, you were in the guys' uh, changing rooms, and it's just amazing seeing, like, okay, this is where the players are on, on game day. Uh, went to try some soap, Molten Brown, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember it. And, uh, you know, and then after that, we're getting a tour, you're going through the tunnel, and from the tunnel, you go to the, the pitch, the stadium, and you sort of, like, everyone's talking, and like, wow. They just imagine, like, 40,000 people, I don't know how big it is, about 40,000 people on match day, you're walking out through the tunnel, and 40,000 people are going, come on, and whatever 
they are, are shouting. I mean, what an incredible feeling we were saying. And then we walked, walked out and we saw the managers, so we were allowed to sit in the manager's seat. Like, great fun. And one thing that we saw right in front of us, which you cannot miss, was the football field. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I don't go to parks and get impressed by the grass, but this was <laughs> impressive. Just perfect green grass, perfectly cut, just like, it's like someone had gone with scissors and just made it perfectly even. Glorious bit of green grass, this, I'm telling you. I mean, and then the lines for the, you know, the penalty area and all that, it just looked so plush. But you never thought about standing on it. I mean, you just enjoyed it with your eyes until you looked down and saw this little sign. Please keep off the grass. And you're like, oh. I mean, I didn't think about going on the grass, to be honest. No need to go on the grass and spoil this beautiful piece of creation. And you're like, <laughs> and everyone basically stood on the grass, basically because of that reason. And, and I've often thought about this, the story of Adam and Eve, and often thought, wow, it's perfect. Like, there's, everything is perfect. There's, you've been given like, dominion and rulership over everything. Why on earth would you just want that one thing that you can't have? And I've often, I, at first, I looked at it quite judgmentally, and thought, if that was Josh and Eve instead of Adam and Eve we wouldn't be in the situation we are today. Because I'd have just enjoyed everything else. But the reality, I think, is that it's just the condition of the human heart that when you see something that you can't have, you've just got to go and get it. And I think at times, all of us in this room would have, would have, would have been in a great situation and then seen something that they can't have and thought, oh, I just want that. And it's the condition of the human heart. So as I've thought about it more and more, I've become less judgmental of Adam and Eve, and realised, actually, I'd have done exactly the same thing. I did the same thing at Chelsea Football Club, and actually I've done the same thing many times in my life. And of course, we, we see that Adam and Eve, having been given this incredible, incredible present, they do the one thing, the one thing that God said, don't do that. And they did it. And then... Suddenly, everything changes. This beautiful, idyllic, peaceful scene that you, know, you can just imagine, suddenly sin enters. Suddenly corruption enters. Suddenly darkness enters into this. No longer, no longer could they walk with God. They could walk with God. We have, I love worship today. It's so good reminding ourselves of who Jesus is and, and at the prayer meeting on Friday, again, it was oh, just worship, and I just I love it, and it's great. It, you feel God's presence. These guys were physically walking with God. No longer could they do that. I I get frustrated when you know like I scratch my car or something like that. I get like I feel for a few days, and I'm like, oh, look at the scratch every so Imagine what they would have felt like having all of this. And yet, making a mistake and realising, wow, all lost. Relationship with God, broken. Relationship with nature, perfection, sin has come into it. Absolutely horrific. But in the darkness, in the agony, in the pain, 
in the suffering of that moment, which must have been absolutely horrific when they realised, what have we done? God says, I will send someone. I will send someone. And then, all of a sudden, poof, man's alone. No longer can he walk with God. No longer can he touch God. I will send someone. And then as we work our way through the big story, the big picture, as we work our way through the Old Testament, we see someones, we see hopes, we see heroes come. We see people like Abraham, Moses, David, Esther, Rahab. There's all these great biblical heroes and names that bring some sort of hope, some sort of kingship, some sort of some sort of strength. And it looks like are they the one? Are they the one? Are they gonna are they gonna restore relationship with God? Yeah, 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 yeah. No. They're gone. And then we hear stories again, like glimpses of uh, like miracles, salvation, people walking through water. Lions' mouths being shut, all like arcs being filled, all these incredible stories of salvation, and, and is that going to be it? And is that going to be it? And then it's gone. All these temporary things, but they're still not quite there. They're still not the someone that God promised. They're still not the fulfillment of the promise all those days ago in that dark, dark place when they made that mistake in the garden. And then you hear whispers in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born. Out of you Bethlehem will become a Lord. And we're waiting, and we're waiting. And as we go through the scriptures, these whispers get louder and louder, yet still nothing. We even, at times, see people talk to God, a little bit of what it must have been like in the garden, on a mountain, in a time, in a specific place, for a specific reason, and then God is gone. And that's the story. Until one day, in a nothing place, poor town, laughed at place, a disgraced young Middle Eastern woman who got pregnant out of mid-wedlock gives birth in a barn, in a shed, in a spare room. Jesus. Light in the darkness. Calls. The promise has I will send someone up and down, up and down. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, the promise has arrived. Light, light in the darkness, the broken world that was broken by that choice because of that tree over there, because of the people, because of man, the broken world can find restoration, can find this healing for the broken. And we see that all of the big story up until this point all of the heroes and the miracles and all those stories were actually just pointed to, pointing to someone greater. This baby, Jesus. And then we see, as we look through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we see Jesus 
from a baby become a boy, from a boy become a teenager, become a man. We see him lead people. We see incredible miracles, wise teaching, loving people. And then one day he's gone. Just like all those other heroes. Just like all those other stories. You can imagine what the people who had hoped he is the someone that God promised must have been thinking. He's gone. Is God not faithful? Were we wrong? But what's happened? And then three days later, Jesus is back. And then as we, as we go on through the story, we find out just what Jesus has done, just what he achieved in his life, in his death, and when he came back, what he has achieved for who? For us. That he has made us right with God. That relationship that was broken all those years ago, right at the beginning of the story, has been restored through Jesus. And we can now be called, as we read, as we get caught up in the big story, we can now read, we who believe in Jesus are children of God. That's what Jesus won. That's what he's caught us up to. And then the most amazing thing is he says, okay, this is the big story. We can read it from afar. And then suddenly we get caught up into it through Jesus. He says, hey, guys, you've got a part to play. You're in the big story. You're in the big picture. And he says things like, hey, help, help tell people about Jesus. Tell people about me. Preach the gospel. He says, pray to me. Pray to my father. Ask him for labourers. Ask him for things. Worship, sing, worship, live life, build church. It's all part of the story. It's all part of the big story. And we've been caught up into it. As we see, it's what Jesus has done for us. Yet, it is not because we are special. It's not because we are great. It's because Jesus has done it for us. And that, therefore, means that everything after Jesus points back to him. So if the Old Testament all pointed to him... Everything else points back to him. At the end of our last series, Galatians, the last preach was about boasting in Christ. Don't boast in anything. It's foolish except for Christ. Christ has done it all. It is all about Jesus. It is all about the someone. Jesus Christ. So don't boast in your own goodness, your own greatness, your own skills. Boast in Christ. And then we turn to Revelation, excuse me, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21. I'll put this in the wrong order, sorry. Revelation 21 says this, I saw a new heaven. I mean, I, I'll always get emotional reading this because this just is incredible. This is incredible. You can just read this and enjoy it and soak in it. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Remember the garden, remember the garden, the relationship, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
relationship restored back with God, we can walk with him again. It's amazing. He will lose his spot. He will (laughs) dwell with them and they will be his people. What we lost in the garden has been won again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What an incredible picture. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Like we've done a circle. In the beginning, God created. At the end, God created all things new. Wow. And that's where we're going to be. And you can sort of finish the story, the big picture, the big story, the big biblical story by saying this, and they all lived happily ever after. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Walking with God in new creation. Wow. That's the end of the beginning. (laughs) The end of the big story, but really the beginning of the biggest story, I guess. It's absolutely incredible, and that's the big story. And what we find is that John finds its place in this big story by recording the life of Jesus. That's how it finds its place in the story. Talks, tells us about Jesus. Now, there are four books that specifically focus on the life, the physical life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And the first three, Matthew, Mark and Luke, are slightly different to John. So the first three are known as the synoptic gospels in English. Okay? They, ha- they have things that are similar. They have similar stories, similar themes. Yet John is different. Here, I'm not going to run through it, but here's a list of some of the differences in John that you don't find in other stories or that the other stories uh, include. I think I just said the same thing twice. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so differences, there's no parables, which it's a big, big things in some of the other scriptures. No birth, no wilderness temptation, no kingdom teaching. And then on the right, on the exclusive, we have things that you can only find in John, like the I Ams. So we heard this morning, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life is a very famous one. There's many. John 1 is exclusive. You could also argue John 2, John 3, John 4. <laughs> but but we're going to get on to John 1 next week, so that'll be a bit more explained. Cleansing the temple, Nicodemus, the beach barbecue... These things are exclusive. You don't find them in the other uh, Gospels. And so the question is, why? There is obviously something that uh, John is trying to say that he believes has really perhaps been missed out or not really emphasised in the other Gospels. So if we very, very, very briefly turn to John 20, and it is on the board, John 20... 30, we find the reason for why the author of John decided to write the book of John. Uh, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, the book is written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Can I thoroughly, 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 thoroughly recommend you to buy this book as we go through the series? It's called Straight to the Heart of John by a guy called Phil Moore. This is what he says about that scripture. John wrote this gospel to give you a ringside seat from which to watch the Galilean carpenter whose message changed the world. Mark, the other gospel, writes to tell us what Jesus did. Matthew and Luke writes to explain why Jesus did it. But John's main concern is to help us discover who Jesus is. And then what it means for us to follow him today. So that's why John wrote this book. That's why we are going to be studying this book, is to see who Jesus is. And we're going to go on a journey together, finding out who Jesus is. One other book I could also recommend for you to buy is uh, this, John for Everyone. And this is also in Swedish, I believe. The For Everyone series I found in Swedish. Uh, really helpful book again. He says this about the book. Approaching John's Gospel is a bit like arriving at a grand, imposing house. Many Bible readers know that this Gospel is not quite like the others. They may have heard or begun to discover that it's got hidden depths of meaning. According to one well-known saying, this book is like a pool, swimming pool, that is safe for a child to paddle in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. But though it's imposing in its structure and ideas, it's not meant to scare you off. It makes you welcome. Indeed, millions have found that as they come closer to this book, the friend above all friends is coming out to meet them. That is why we are studying this book, to meet Jesus. It is all about Jesus. I met with um, a couple of the guys who were part of the preaching team last, last week, and we talked a little bit about, okay, what, you know, are we going to focus on signs, or what, what are we going to do? And I just feel that we focus on one thing as we go through this book, and that is Jesus. My hope, my expectation of this series is that people will meet Jesus. That's what it's all about. I pray for people who have not even heard the name Jesus will come to hear the name Jesus and get caught up in this big story and say, wow, now I see it all. Now it all makes sense. Thank you, Jesus. I want to love you. I want to worship you. I want to live for you. And I also pray that people who have known Jesus for 60, 70, 80 years will come to hear Jesus in this book. We'll see him afresh. 
will get to know him again. That's my hope. That's my expectation. It's super exciting. Everything before points to him. Everything after points back to him. It is all about Jesus. For me, I'm super excited to be reading this book. Gothenburg, we need Jesus. Gothenburg needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And we're going to find him in all sorts of colour as we go through the book of John. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that in the beginning you created and then you said when everything went wrong, you said, I will send someone. And I thank you that Jesus is that someone. I thank you that he is the promised Messiah, that he fulfills everything that you required. And I thank you for his life, his death and his resurrection. And Lord, I pray as we go through this series over the, the next while, Lord, may you really start to speak to us afresh about who Jesus is. May we see his glory. May we see his worthiness. May we see everything that, uh, that we can about, about Jesus. I'm hungry to get to know him more and more. I pray, Lord, I thank you that people have come to know Jesus over the last year. I pray for more. And I pray that if we do know Jesus already, that we get to know him even, even better. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay. Great. So, next week, John chapter one. If you're not, if you're not part of small groups, uh, do find Adib, hey, and maybe Becky. Hey, find one of those two Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights. Get involved. They're great. Cool. <laughs>